Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Welcome to Outreach Church. Um, is anyone here your very first time coming today? I won't ask anything weird or anything of you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, you could have done anything this morning, and you came here, and you, you added your voice to worship and, and who you are to what God's doing, and um, so we're just really thankful. We don't want to take that for granted. Um, we're really, really thankful that you're here, um, you know, and, and uh, Dylan had shared that in the first service, and, and I, I told, was telling him in between services, I, I never thought of that, and it's really good. That, you know, it's not, just, it's not just the ones who have been captured that he came to set free, but he came to set free even the prisoners who are maybe in a prison because of their own wrongdoing, and and it is true, we, we, we sometimes have so much grace for someone who's been wronged, and so little grace uh, maybe for the wrongdoers. And the truth of the matter is, is we've been both, and he's been gracious to us in either. And so now we owe it to the world, if we're becoming like him, to become like him, and to be gracious in both instances, especially with ourselves. You know, sometimes we have a lack of grace for other people because we have a lack of grace for ourselves. You know, Jesus said one time, with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And, and that can mean so many things. But what if he's talking also about the way that we measure grace? What if gracious people have an easier time measuring out grace for themselves? And those who are vindictive and vengeful towards others become vindictive and vengeful towards themselves and have a hard time receiving because they have a hard time giving. So if, if that would be you and you'd say, you know, that you have a hard time having grace for yourself, become a gracious person. Ask Jesus to change your heart to the point where your response to wrongdoing, no matter what, is always to show grace and always to have compassion towards the ones even that are doing the wrong. You know, we have no problem having compassion for the victim. The truth of the matter is, is both people in that instance are a victim. One's being used by the enemy and the other's being abused by the enemy through the one he's using. But they're both victims. They're both not walking after the manner that they were created a lot of times. And both of them are not receiving the will of God. And it's his will that both of them would know him, love him, and that both of them would actually live the life he created them for. And so let's make sure that, that we have grace for, for everyone, not just the ones we think deserve it. Because the truth of the matter is, is everyone deserves grace because of the grace we've been shown. Um, we're talking about hearing his voice, and we're going to be talking about it for a while, and there's going to be other people that teach on uh, and talk about different aspects of it. But, but before we actually get into kind of the, some of the nuts and bolts of it or, or whatever, um, you know, I wanted to talk about this thing that, that really hearing the voice of God is a byproduct of relationship with him. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, we can, we can actually want him for something more than we just want him. Or we can make the pursuit of him about the things that we want to receive rather than actually that we can have him. You know, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And a great heart check is every now and then ask myself, what part of that verse actually is drawing me? Is it all these things? Or is the fact that I could have him and his righteousness? Because the truth is like, if, if I'm seeking him for all these things, I have things mixed up. All these things are a byproduct and a blessing and a benefit of actually knowing him and living in the kingdom of God and having the righteousness that Christ died on a cross for us to have. And, you know, if we're not careful, we'll make hearing his voice something that we pursue above actually him. 
And so we'll be, we'll be judging our time, whether we heard him or not, will be the barometer for whether or not we met with God or whether it was worth it or any of those kind of things. And the truth of the matter is, is hearing his voice is simply just a byproduct of having a relationship with him. And the closer relationship I have with him, the more I'll hear his voice, the more I'll know his voice, the more I'll understand his voice and recognize it. So I just said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. You know, I, I, I didn't get to know Patty for her voice. Knowing her voice and what it sounds like and the way she speaks and her heart and the kinds of things she says is a byproduct of the fact that I have a relationship with her. But it wasn't like I saw her and was like, man, I really want to know her voice. I wanted to know her. And as I got to know her, I got to know her voice. And so I want to just make sure before we talk about hearing his voice that we don't get things out of order because the truth of the matter is, is like, if, if, if we, what, so what if you could hear his voice, but you didn't know his heart? Because there's a lot of people out there that hear things that God is saying. That's why Jesus said he has ears to hear, let him hear. He wasn't saying physical ears. He was meaning there's a lot of voices speaking. There's a lot of people even that were, that were hearing what Jesus was saying. Think about it. He's standing in front of the Pharisees. He's spe- God's voice is speaking, and yet they want God to be something other than who he is. And he says, you guys don't understand it. You search the scriptures in vain, for in them you think you find life. But these are they that point to me. He's saying, listen, don't just be so consumed with, with one part of, of, of trying to know me that, that you can't recognize me when I'm standing in front of you. And Jesus is standing in front of them in a way that they didn't expect him to come. And we build these ideas sometimes of what relationship with God will look like, and we make the parameters. And so when God doesn't come and meet that parameter, we are disappointed, and we're looking beyond him, looking over him for God when he's staring us in the face. And so like, if, if we would humble ourselves and just say, God, I just want to know you. I want to know you on your terms. I want to come to you on your terms. I'm not going to make you come to me on mine, God. I want to know you on your terms. And I want to know all about you. And I want to be known by you. And actually pursuing him. Because who in here would love to know God more intimately than you do? All of us, right? And you understand, though, that there's something required for what you want and attaining it. Like, knowing him is a great idea. But what makes a great idea actually something that you attain is what you're willing to do to actually get the thing that you want. The Pharisees kind of liked the idea of knowing him more than they actually liked him. It's the truth. Because he said it. Jesus was talking and he said, um, and it's actually in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. You can turn there in your Bibles. Um, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees and he says, this. He says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their f- heart is far from me. In other words, everybody can say, I want to know him. That's the easy part. How many of you guys have ever said you want to be in shape? That's the easy part. If simply saying I want to be in shape meant you were in shape, everybody in America would be in perfect shape. But there's something that is required. It, it has to go beyond something you say with your mouth. And so we can say, God, I want to know you. But the truth of whether we really want to know him or not is, are we willing to sacrifice the things that are the most precious to us in order to know him more? Because that's what he was talking about with the Pharisees. He says, listen, they do the cheap part. With their lips, they draw near to me. But with their hearts, they're far from me. And so I want to talk to us a little bit today just about 
Do we actually value him to the point where we're willing to spend everything that he asks us to spend to have more of him? Because here's how you know that you actually want something. You have it. You make time for it. Because you'll make time for anything that you value. And if time is the most precious commodity that we have, then how we spend our time should be the most important thing that we do. Think about it. how many of us live our days letting our day decide how we spend our time and live in reaction to what's happening rather than in response to the thing that we know in our heart is the most important. And listen, I'm speaking to myself too. But, but like to the point where like, listen, you have to actually, I, I do anyways, and maybe you don't have to, but with the way that my life is, I have to actually schedule time to meet with him and treat it as though it's an appointment with anybody else. Why? Because if I don't do that, people will fill my time. Urgent things will fill my time. Things that come up will fill my time. Hobbies will fill my time. Fun things like, like you know, playing and doing you know, hobbies and things like that will fill my time. Other things will fill my time for me if I don't decide beforehand, this is how I'm going to spend my time today. And I want to make sure that before I get to the end of the day and try to find it, I actually build that into the first part of my day so that I, I'm like, God, if there's one thing I do today, it's going to be spend time with you, alone with you, seek you and spending time with you. And then the rest of my day can happen from there because I'm not going to try to find that time throughout the day. I'm going to prioritize and make sure this is going to happen. If nothing else happens today, when I wake up in the morning, I've already determined I'm going to seek you. I'm going to spend time with you. And I'm going to challenge us with something like, I very rarely have done this as a pastor of like saying like, I want us to do this as a church, but I literally am going to challenge us as a church to sacrifice the last half hour of our night to give him the first half hour of our morning. Like, like think about like what happens that last half hour of your night. Come on. Or maybe don't think. You're in church. But really, like, would it be worth it to give that last half hour up in order to have an extra half hour in the morning and say, I'm going to spend that seeking the Lord. I'm going to spend that actually being with him and set that time apart to know him and to spend time with him and to seek his face and to hear from him. Because here's the thing. This is how math works. If you take a half hour off of the end of your day and you add it to the beginning of your day, you still get the same amount of sleep. But what you're doing is you're saying, God, if this is the most important thing, then I'm going to carve out that time before anything else to make sure that no matter what happens. Because here's the thing. You have no idea the situations that you're going to find yourself in in the course of a day. One, one minute you're walking along and your day is all planned out. The next minute you get a phone call and your day looks nothing like you thought it was going to look. And you find yourself in a situation where you need him. Trying to find him in that moment is good. Having found him already and living from that place and responding to that phone call from a place of being with him is better. Trying to find him in that moment, that, that's fine. I mean, at least you know to look for him. But what if you had already found him that morning? You'd already settled in your heart who he is and who he's called you to be. You've already heard his voice. You're already settled in the fact that he's your father, that he loves you. You've gone through the things we're going to talk about to where you have settled in your mind that he is the most important thing and that his eye really is on you, that he does love you, he cares for you, that he actually has promises that he's given to you. And that's already settled and established in your heart so that when something happens, you're responding from that place rather than trying to find that place in the moment. Because I promise you, the easiest time that you'll ever seek the Lord is when there's nobody else that can do anything about it but you. Think about Jesus. He can do anything. 
And yet it says in the word, and early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a quiet place, and sought the Lord and sought the Father. I'm not saying like in a legalistic way you have to do this. I'm saying that if Jesus had to do that to be Jesus, and he's the one we're trying to be like, there's a good chance that maybe we need to do that as well. There's a chance. Well, so, so you're saying I have to do this to be a Christian? No, I'm saying Jesus had to do it to be Jesus, and he's the goal and the standard and the one we want to be like. It's like fasting. Like, so I have to fast to be a Christian? No, but Jesus had to fast to be like Jesus. And if my goal is to be like him, I probably should do the things that he felt it was necessary to do. It's not about seeing like how little I can get away with. Like, can you go to heaven and not get, seek him in the mo- first thing in the morning? Probably. But why would you want to get there and know him less than you could know him now? Like, if the goal is to try to see how little I can do and still get to heaven, I've missed out on who he is. Like, the goal was never, let's see how little I can do and still think that I'm a Christian. The goal was, let's see how much of my life I can give to become like him so that I can know him to the extent that he can be known while I'm on this earth. So I don't get to heaven and look back and say, I could have had you this much then. I don't want him to have to wipe away tears because I look back with regret and go, oh man, I could have known you. Because says he'll wipe away every tear. I think part of the tears that he wipes away are the tears of regret when we look back and see what was possible and what he called us into, and what our yes could have, could have got us. That's why how you spend your yes is so important. You think about this. There's a story that it says will be repeated forever, wherever the gospel is told of a woman who took the most precious thing she had and wasted it on Jesus. If our time is the most precious thing that we have, how much should we think about where we spend our time and how we spend it and who we spend it on? Come on, this story about the woman, this is something you could buy. It even tells us how much she paid for it. How much more is your time worth? Like, I had to learn this the hard way when I was pastoring. When I first started pastoring, I, I remember I, I sent this letter out to, to all the pastors in the area that pastored non-denominational churches because I thought, well, maybe they're, you know, kind of like our church. And, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was handed this church and... and, and here we go. And so I sent this letter out, and it basically just said, help. I mean, it said more than that, but it was basically like me being like, I don't really know how to pastor. I feel like the Lord has called me into this. It's been handed to me, and I really would love to sit with you and just ask you for any wisdom that you could give me. The only response I got back was from a guy who was in the same position as me. This guy named Joel Reed. He wrote back and said, bro, I need the same thing. Why don't we hang out? Luckily, we didn't both end up in a ditch. So I didn't, I didn't have something. That's why, like, nowadays, when, when I hear that someone's stepped into a job of pastoring, I'll make time anytime they want it. I will make time to talk to them and share with them things that I wish people would have shared with me when I first started. And this is one of the things I share with them, usually within the first five minutes, is when I first started pastoring, I felt like I was a slave to this. I felt like I owed everybody that, was, that I pastored and even a lot of people that I didn't to answer their text within five minutes of them texting me, to answer their phone call if I saw it light up. I felt guilty not answering a phone call and watching my phone ring. Literally. 
to the point where I would be in bed at night, Patty laying next to me, at 11-something at night. I remember one time that stands out because I've told the story a few times, but there was many times things like this happened. The phone rings. I don't recognize the number, but I answer it because, you know, you have to answer it because you're a pastor and you owe that to everybody. And so I've answered the phone, and it's homeless people we had been ministering to, and they were craving pizza and grape soda and wanted to know, could I come and bring them some? I, I said, no. And they actually were like, what kind of a pastor are you? <laughs> I'm like, the kind that wants to go to sleep. <laughs> but... But I, I had this, 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 this thing where I couldn't say no. And here's the, here's the thing that you'll learn as you serve the Lord is that walking in your gifting and seeing fruit makes it really easy to overlook and to, to actually give more than you should to something because it's what you were created to do and because you're seeing fruit. And when you are seeing fruit and doing what you were created to do, it makes it so easy to start overlooking other things and giving more time than it deserves to that thing at the expense of things that are more important. And you feel justified in it because you're serving the Lord. Let me tell you something. God never called you to serve him at the expense of things that he called you to walk in before he called you to serve him. And so I remember just, I remember having discussions with Patty and she was getting, you know, like, hey, this isn't working. Something has to change. And, and I, I remember, like, at the time that she's saying that to me, there's more and more demand on me and, and people wanting time and people needing help. And, and, and the church was, you know, just kind of starting and starting to grow. And there were so many things going on. And I remember one night just getting alone with the Lord in my sauna and just crying out to him and saying, I don't even know what to do. Like, God, how do I do this? And, and I'll never forget what he said to me. And and I've shared this, and I'm sharing this now because I think there's some people here that probably need to hear this. He said, Roy, there's a million men who could pastor that church. There's one man who can be a husband to Patty, and there's one man who can be a father to Aaliyah and Jackson. And it broke me. And I started realizing I was letting something that a lot of people could do take the place of things that only I could do. And that it wouldn't matter if I pastored a million people and they all felt like I was an amazing pastor to them if it came at the expense of being a husband to Patty and being a father to my children. And I would just be another pastor who had a horror story of his ministry costing him his marriage or his relationship with his children. That's never been God's heart or his desire. Ever. I promise. He has never called you to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. He has never called you to sacrifice your marriage on the altar of ministry. And no, your wife doesn't need to catch up. No, your husband doesn't need to get on board. I mean, they may need to in some areas. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is you were never called to just run, 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 run and tell the people behind you if they want to stay with you that they have to catch up. You're called to shepherd people, especially us men. You're called to shepherd, to be for your families, who Christ is for the church. He's the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? It makes sure that wherever they're going and the sheep are supposed to go, that the sheep come, even if it means he doesn't get where he wants to go as fast as he wanted to get there. Because he values the sheep more than he does the destination. Listen to me. He's never called you to run ahead to the green pasture and scream at your family to catch up. He's called you to shepherd and pastor your family right along with you so that you all get there at the same time. Because if you leave them behind, 
You may be standing in a green pasture. They may be facing a wolf. And if you don't take the time to be with them, how would you ever know? And what good are you to defend your family? Ah, someone needs to hear that because I feel it really heavy, way heavier than I did last service. You don't blame your wife for your lack of ministry. You don't blame your husband for your lack of ministry. They're not the reason you're not where you're supposed to be. They're part of the reason that you are where you are. They're the biggest calling that you have in your life. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Now listen, and, and this goes the other way too though, is that, you know, in the end, husbands will be responsible for did we lead the way Christ called us to lead. We won't be responsible for who followed because we can't force someone to follow we'll be responsible for did we lead the way he called us to lead. And the people who were called to follow will be responsible for if they followed the way he instructed them to. But you listen, don't you ever take that to be, well, I'm just going to run then and whoever's supposed to follow will follow. No, you lead like a shepherd. You protect and you love and you serve. And you worry more about the sheep than getting to the pasture five minutes earlier. And I had to learn that. But in that, I learned this. I learned that every time I gave a yes, there was going to be a bunch of times I was going to have to say no as a result. And I learned the value of spending my yes wisely. And I realized that my day would decide for me how it was going to be spent if I didn't decide before that day some things that I was going to make sure happened. And that's when I started getting up early in the morning and seeking the Lord on a consistent, regular basis. And it's been something I've done since then. And that time fluctuates. Sometimes it's 4 in the morning. Sometimes it's 5.30 in the morning. But here's the thing. I've never once looked back and regretted the time that I gave the Lord. I've never at the end of the day stood back and went, man, if I would have had that half hour back, I could have done this, 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 and this. But there's been so many times where I've walked into a situation. I've walked into a counseling session and heard the Lord bring back something he showed me in the word earlier that morning. As I'm, and I'm speaking it in the counseling session. Just recently, I was talking to a guy, and I started off and I asked him two questions. And he's got tears in his eyes. And he said, man, you, you didn't even wait. Like, you just read my heart in, in the first two things that you said. Why? It's because spending time with the Lord, he doesn't always tell you like, hey, I'm going to tell you this so that you can remember it then. He just gives you what you need. And then all of a sudden you find these things coming out of your mouth or you find these things in your heart or you're contemplating this and all of a sudden you need it for that. And it wasn't like the Lord lured you in and said, hey, if you want a word of knowledge, spend time with me. See, that's the problem is we, we judge whether or not he's worth spending time by the outcome rather than by actually did I get to spend time with him. Is he worth my time whether I see the fruit of it in, the, in the, that day or even that week or even that month or is he worth it every single day to spend time with him because he is the most important thing and if I get to pick one thing that I know I can do without anybody being able to stop me, it's going to be seek him and spend time with him. And so I actually, and I want to just encourage everybody to do this. I actually set time with him like it's a meeting and I won't violate it. And there have been times where like an emergency thing, see things popped up and I felt the grace to, to, to do something else instead of that and, and do that later. But as a, as a rule and as a whole, I schedule time to spend with him every single day and I don't violate it for anything else because I can't be who people want me and need me to be as a pastor if I'm not being with him on a regular, consistent basis. There's literally some days, Zach was there the other day, where I have a meeting at 6, 
11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 2 o'clock. And sometimes I stay in the same booth at Panera for the first three. And, so, and sometimes, like, the guy that I'm meeting next will walk in while I'm talking to someone that I'm meeting at the time. It happened. Zach looked at, at the guy I was meeting and said, oh, you got the early slot today. Because he was the 6 to 7.45, and Zach was the 7.45 to 9.30. Listen, the only way I am any good to do that is if I'm spending my time alone with the Lord. And if I start substituting ministry for being with him, I won't be worth being with it to be in, 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 in the first place. If I start to substitute ministry for actually being alone with him, and I think because I'm doing what God called me to do, and I let that be a substitute for actually getting alone and just being with him for the sake of being with him, I won't be worth being with anyways. And then I'll be another burned out pastor who has nothing to offer because what I have, I give. And if I'm not getting, then I have nothing to give. And if I'm not with him, I have nothing that's worth giving you. And so, so I want to challenge us just as, as a church because it's not just for pastors. Every one of us is called to know him and to seek him while he can be found. Every one of us is called to an intimate relationship with him that we're not with him for what we can get. We're with him just to be with him because we love him. And so I, I, would, I would start scheduling it. And I would, I would even encourage you, you don't have to, not in a legalistic way or anything like that. For some people, it just doesn't work. But if it does work, give the last half hour of your night and spend that first half hour of your day with him. I promise you, if you do this for a month straight, you will never look back and you will not regret that you gave him the first half hour of your day every single day. But schedule it, and if you have to set an alarm, set an alarm, and be intentional about it. And, and I even like to have a place that I do it. And, and, and there, you don't have to. You can do it wherever you want to. And listen, th- none of this is a, is a replacement for being with him and spending time with him all day throughout the day. But I will say this. The more I am intentional about being with him and giving him that first half hour of my day, the more he's intentional about seeking me and finding me and interrupting my day throughout the day. There's just something about him that he doesn't give what's of value to people that have no value for it. And I honestly feel like giving him the first part of my day is me saying to him, God, I value you. I value your presence. I value your voice. And so when he's looking to give himself, because it says his eyes are roaming to and fro, looking for those who are faithful that he can trust himself to, whose hearts are fully his. When he sees someone who says, God, I'll get up early and I'll sacrifice the first part of my day for you, when he's looking to entrust himself, it's the people who have valued him first that he actually says, okay, they have a value. When I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it to them because they've shown value for it. Because think about it. Why didn't he entrust himself to the Pharisees? You remember what it says? And it says in the Bible, why? It says he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in the heart of men. In other words, you say you value me, but you don't actually value me. And I know what's in your heart more than what comes from your lips. And I judge what's going on in your heart. So saying that you want to be with me is not the same as actually being with me. And so when I'm looking to entrust myself, it's going to be to the ones whose hearts actually line up with what's coming from their mouths. Test it. I promise you, you won't regret it. So I, but I, and so I like to have a place, and, and I've had a few places. Um, I had a chair that I gave to somebody. They were really excited about that. They were like, oh, this is the chair. And I gave it to them, and they were all excited. I, whatever. But they, they, they liked it. And I have a new chair now, and, and it's ripped, and I probably should replace it at some point because I've worn it out. But every time I look at it, I remember the things that God spoke to me in that place. I remember the times when he came. I remember the things he said. I remember when he's changed my heart. I remember the revelation. I remember just the joy and the peace of being with him in those times. And I can't bring myself to get rid of that chair. But what that chair does is, is that place and that time, it creates an expectancy in me. 
Like, I have an expectation. The Bible talks about this, right? It says, those who come to God must believe that he is, but not just that, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when I come to him, I don't just believe he's God, but I actually expect that there's something I'm going to get from that time of being with him. Even if it's just that I know I've spent my time with him and showed him that I value him, there's something that I'm going to receive because I'm diligently seeking him. And so I have this expectation. I would say, like, if you're going to do this, and I'm going to ask everybody in the church, I asked for a service, I'm going to ask everybody in this service to do it. If you're going to do it, get up in the morning and don't let it be a checklist thing where you're like, all right, I said I would do this. I'm going to give them the first half of my day, first half hour of my day. Like, don't let that be what it is. Actually have an expectancy. And if you have to, start speaking to yourself. Like David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. What's he saying? He's saying right now, I don't feel like blessing the Lord. Why? Because if he did, he doesn't have to tell his soul to bless the Lord and doesn't have to remind his soul of why he should. There's days when you're going to wake up and the angels are going to be singing and you can't wait to get to that spot and you have this expectation and you're like, Lord, I'm here. And then there's going to be days where you wake up and you hit the snooze and you're just like, shoot me. I mean, none of you guys. And certainly not me because I'm a pastor. And they give you pastor pills and you become a pastor. And you wake up in the morning, you take one of those. It includes an angelic choir and a desire to just get alone with him where no one's looking. But for people that aren't pastors and aren't here in the room today, there could be days when you wake up and everything in you is screaming to just stay in bed. You deserve it. You did this. You've done. You realize that you'll try to talk yourself into anything that you want. So set an alarm, because when you're thinking clearly and you know what you want, set an alarm that reminds you of that, so that when you're not thinking clearly and everything else is trying to dictate what you want, you remember what's important. If you need to, set an alarm. Well, that seems legalistic. No, that seems like I'm deciding that I'm going to decide what I do with my day before my day decides what it's going to do with me. And so when I am thinking clearly, and I'm not thinking emotionally, and I'm not thinking with tiredness, I decide what I'm going to do, and then I stick to it, and I follow through. So I, I, I like to have that place because it creates that expectancy. You, you remember the woman with the issue of blood? She had an expectation that she placed on touching Jesus. She said, if I could just get to him and touch the hem of his garment, I know I'd be healed. And Jesus called that faith. Expectancy in the morning looks like faith to God. It really does. It's a form of faith because you're saying, God, I'm not coming here just to sit here quietly. I'm coming here to meet with you, and I'm coming to be with you, and I know you're going to come, and I know I'm going to hear from you, and I know I'm going to spend time with you. And suddenly it takes faith to please God. Now God's pleased because there's this expectation. It's not a stale thing that I'm checking off. And then, um, and then the, ne- the next thing that I like to do, and I just wrote down the steps of kind of how I do things. And not that I have a checklist every day and do this, but it's just something I've learned and developed is I start to thank him as I'm heading in to spend time with him. I just start, I get thankful before the Lord. It says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. I like to be thankful as I come to him. Why? Because it takes my mind off of everything else and starts to center my mind on him. You cannot remain in a bad mood while giving thanks to God. I promise you. You Try it. Try staying in a bad mood and try staying sleepy and quiet and just indifferent towards God while thanking him. God, I thank you that you redeemed my life. God, I thank you for your promises over my life. God, I thank you that you love me. That You sent your son to this earth because you love me, not so that you could, God. I'm so thankful for you. God, I thank you that you woke me up this morning. It says that it's you that gives us breath. 
that in you I live and I move and I breathe. God, I'm thankful that right now I'm breathing and you woke me up another day and I'm going to look more like you today than I looked like you yesterday because I'm going to spend it with you, Father. I'm going to spend it away. And all of a sudden, your attention is so on him. The things that were dragging you down the day before or that would try to fight their way into your mind and dictate your time grow strangely dim because your eyes are focused on him and you have a thankful heart. That's why he tells us to come before him with thanksgiving. Like these lines aren't in there so that Hobby Lobby has cool plaques. They're not. These things aren't in there so that you can have, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever in, you know, on a whitewashed piece of pallet wood that looks cute. But I'm serious. Listen, sometimes we're more worried about the verse and what it's painted on looking good in our kitchen than if it actually dictates the way that I live my life. If we're not careful, come before him with thanksgiving. It's not something to paint with pumpkins in the background and hang up every year in November. It's something, to, it's a way that he's called us to actually live. And so if he said it in his word, it's for our benefit. So there's some benefit to me coming before his presence. And before I even begin to speak about anything else, I let my heart get in the place where I'm thankful and I start giving thanksgiving to him. God, I thank you that you woke me up this morning. I thank you that your grace covers me, God, that the blood of your son Jesus has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. I thank you that you said, though a righteous man stumbles a thousand times, he gets up every single time. God, I thank you that you said faithful are the wounds of a friend. God, that you said the steps of a, of a righteous are ordered. You go through all these promises of God and all of a sudden your mind's fixed on him and your perspective is changed. And now all of a sudden everything that happens in the course of the day has to make its way through that filter rather than you trying to filter his word through what's happened in the course of a day. I promise you, that's being single-eyed and focusing on him. The next thing it says, it says to come into his presence joyfully with psalms. Another place says come before him with worship. Enter his, his uh, gates with thanksgiving and, and his courts with praise. And so, like, I'll worship, even if I'm just humming. If your wife and you first half hour of the day is way different, or your husband and you first half hour of the day, like maybe go in the other room before you start making a joyful noise. Or they may not make a joyful noise. Seriously, like be considerate of other people. So Jesus got up and left the house and went to a quiet place. He was so considerate. Like he didn't get up and shame everybody. He didn't loudly slam the cupboard doors to let them know, I'm up, you should be up too. No, he didn't do that. Why? Because he's not, it, 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 for him, it's about him seeking the Lord, not other people knowing he's seeking the Lord. Because he went, got up, left the house while it was dark, and just went off to a quiet place to get alone with the Father. Just start singing. Sing a new song, sing an old song, sing whatever. You know, sometimes we attach spirituality to things in a greater level than it really deserves. You know, when, like, when we talk about like when people sing, we call it prophetically, it means they're not singing what the song that was planned, and we act like that's way more spiritual, as if the Holy Spirit wasn't involved in Brandon planning the worship set you know, the two weeks before, and that the songs that they're singing have just as much anointing on them as the stuff they're singing spontaneously. It's not more spiritual to sing a new song that you've never sang before as it is to submit to the leader and actually sing the song he's called you to sing. They're both acts of worship. Not One doesn't have more value than the other. I don't know why I need to say that, but someone needed to hear probably. But, but just sing to him because now you're worshiping him. Now all of a sudden your, your thanksgiving turns into worship. Because of all these things I'm thankful for, my response, God, is to just worship you. God, you're so good. Oh, you're so amazing. Jesus, you are awesome. God, you are so, so good. You're so faithful. You're so kind. I'm so thankful that I have a father like you. I could have been fathered by anybody, and you chose me as a son. Now I'm worshiping. 
And now all of a sudden, it's just flowing out of me, and there's this flow that starts to happen where now I'm fixed on him, and I'm away, and I have nothing on my agenda but him. You, you, you realize, like, if we're honest, some of us may be more aware of this than the presence of God throughout the course of a day. Put this down. Leave it. Don't pick it back up until your heart and your mind are in a place where you feel like you need to. Linger in his presence as long as you want to. Don't cut it short. I promise, like, if the house is burning down, them calling you isn't going to save it. They need to call 911. Yeah. You can pray with them later. You're not going to put the fire out in time. Be with him. And then the next thing I, I do is after I've, I've come expectantly and I've just been in a place of thanksgiving and worship is to just be quiet before him and listen. You know how many people would hear the voice of the Lord if they would actually give the time and attention and the space for him to speak? You realize that like, even though he could speak anytime he wants to, most of the time when he speaks, he wants to have people's attention first. Why? Because he doesn't waste his words because he values his word even above his own name. So if his words are the most valuable thing he has, why would he waste them to someone whose attention isn't on him? Think about it. Samuel! Here I am. I didn't call for you. Samuel, Samuel, here I am. I didn't call for you. Samuel, okay, this time, next time you hear that, say, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Why didn't it come until he gave him his attention? Because he doesn't cast his pearl before swine. He doesn't give something of value to somebody who hasn't made a place of value for it in their life. So I just sit quietly. Be still and know that I'm God. You realize in your being still, from a place of worship and thanksgiving, being still allows him to be God, not those things that were trying to be God before you walked into his presence that morning. There's so many things that want to be Lord of your life, yet he's the Lord. Being still in his presence actually allows him to be God rather than all the other voices that would try to speak. And you might be amazed at what you hear, what you see, what you feel in those times. And here's the thing. Here's how you can know it's him. Because one thing that people always say when you talk about this, especially they're trying to defend the fact that, you know, you shouldn't listen to the voice of God is, well, how do I know that it's God speaking and not the devil? Here's how you know. Because you've made time and you've made place and you've asked him to come and speak to you. And he said, if you ask him for bread, he won't give you a serpent. Man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Think about what Jesus was saying. If you're asking him for what you need to live, there's no chance that's what's coming is the serpent. He could have used anything for an example. One of the examples he used was a serpent. That's, it's not the snake. You can trust it's him because you've made that place. You've sought him. And you've entered into his presence with worship and thanksgiving. The enemy can't speak in the presence of God. You won't be able to. And you're bought by the blood of Jesus. I promise when you make that place for the presence of God, it's not the enemy that's speaking. He can't speak during that time. In fact, that's probably one of the safest times to know that what you're hearing is the voice of the Lord and to trust it is when the presence of God is there and you've made yourself available to him and you're seeking him. And then I like to just sit, and then 
after a while, I like to write down. I use voice memos most of the time, honestly. Um, Patty has a journal. She, Patty has journals. There's bags full of journals at our house. Seriously. She <laughs> seeks the Lord, and she writes down, and she writes down, and she writes down everything that he says. But record what he says. Record what you see. Record what you feel. Record these things down so that you can chew on them and dwell on them over and over again. I'll, I'll give you an example of how that works for me. Um, I, I, have, I have notes that are just full of stuff like this. Um, let me find it real quick. I didn't plan to do this, so I don't have it like ready to pull up first, but um, I can pull it up. So I was one time I was just spending time with the Lord, and I was praying for our church. Actually, that was what was on my heart. That's the next step is to, to, to pour your heart out to him. And I was at that stage of just pouring out my heart to him and talking to him about the things that were on my heart. You know that he wants to hear what's on your heart? Do you realize that, like, he wants to hear what's on your heart, that he actually loves you? Like, think about this. Like, if my son comes to me and says, Dad, there's something that I really need to talk to you about. I don't tell him, shut up and listen. I'm the father. You're not going to talk to me about your stuff. I don't care. Wait, though. That sounds so ridiculous coming out of my mouth. You can't even imagine it. But some of us have an attitude towards the father and the way that we relate to him where we feel like that's what he would say. And we hardly feel like he wants to hear what's on our heart because if we thought he wanted to, we'd probably give it to him. He wants to hear. And so I was, I was pouring out my heart about this church, and, and, he wrote, and he said, I felt like he said this to me, and so I wrote it down. He said, um, he said, I'm making you a house of joy. Ask me for things, and I'll do them. That was it. So I wrote that down, and I was just praying about that and meditating on that, because sometimes he just gives you a line. And as you're dwelling on that, you're meditating on whatever sort of things are good, perfect, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. Meditate on these things. So you meditate on these things that he speaks. Or maybe it's a verse that you read during that time with him, and you start to meditate on it. And you start to chew on it and dwell on it. And we're going to talk about that next week, about just what it looks like to dwell on and meditate on and feast on the word. Um, and, and, and I felt him start to speak again after, after a couple hours of just chewing that. So I grabbed my phone out, and I started writing, and this is what I wrote. I'm making you a house of joy. Ask me for things and I'll do them. And trust that what's in your heart is there to bring you closer to me, not lead you away. Ask me for things that seem impossible because that looks like faith to me. What the world sees as ridiculous, I see as scratching the surface. What you think is asking for something big is simply asking me for a whisper. I spoke the worlds into being with a word. Yeah, that's a word over our church. I'm going to read that again because that's what I was praying into was, for our church. And so I want to I wanna read this to you. This is the value of spending time with him. It's not just for you because the things you get are often to be shared with other people. He said, I'm making you a house of joy. Ask me for things and I'll do them. Trust that what's in your heart is there to bring you closer to me, not to lead you away. Ask me for things that seem impossible because that looks like faith to me. What the world sees as ridiculous, I see as scratching the surface. What you think is asking for something big is simply asking me for a whisper. I spoke the worlds into being with a word. But that started from getting alone with him and hearing him say the first sentence of that and then pondering that over and over in my heart. And there's this flow that starts to happen because I've, I've set the first part, and I'll just close up with this, you set the first part of your day aside to be with him. And you start that line of communication first thing in the morning, and there's this heavenly flow that starts right away in the morning where my attention's on him, my ears are open to hear him, and I'm attuned to him, my attention's on And then throughout the day, it's crazy, the conversation that keeps going, the running dialogue that you have with the Father, where things that you started thinking about earlier in the day when you were alone with him, he starts to speak to you about. Why? Because you've shown him that you value his word, and so he knows that this is a place where I can give myself to and entrust myself to because there's value for me there. I'm not going to give a pearl to something that has no, no use for it. 
I'm not going to give a diamond to a hog. It just chew on it and crack its teeth. Spit it back out into the mud. No, I'll give a pearl to someone that creates a setting where that pearl can go and be valued, be put on display. That's where I'm going to entrust myself. I feel like doing this, if we, if we will as a church family just commit to this, I'm serious. I, I, I don't ask this stuff like this very often as a pastor. I, I don't, I'm not like, hey, let's all do this. But I really feel strongly like the Lord saying, there's something I want to give to you as a family, but it's going to take you actually making the time and space for me to be able to entrust myself to you. And there's something about all of us doing it. Here's the thing. Like, I can share revelation like that with you, and that's awesome, but I can't have a relationship with him for you. Like, every one of us is called to be a lamp on a stand. Every one of us is called to burn for him. And you have to have your own oil. You have to. You have to have your own intimacy with him. Because here's the thing. You can hear people speak things that they received when they were alone with the Lord, and it go in one ear and out the other if you haven't prepared a place for that to land. Wisdom cries out in the streets, yet so many people lack wisdom. Why? They haven't created a place for it to land. They haven't created a value system for it. And it goes in one ear and it goes out the other. gets trampled underfoot. So I want to ask this. That, and the la- so the last thing I do, honestly, is every time I, I, I go into the Word, because I just want to put something of His Word in. Not that He gives, sometimes he, he shows me revelation right there, especially if He's speaking to me about something. I'll try to find that area in the Bible and I'll look into it. A lot of times revelation comes that way. But even if there's nothing, even if I walk away from it and I didn't hear anything, I didn't see anything, and, and, and I didn't get any revelation when I was reading in the Word, what have I lost by showing him the value I have for him and the love for I have for him and spending time in his presence? And at very least, I've put truth inside of me that now the Holy Spirit can bring back into my memory at a later time. Jesus said that. He said when he comes the Spirit of truth, he will bring you in remembrance of all these words that I've spoken to you. What does he do? He searches out the deep things of God that we've put into our heart, even when it didn't feel like we were putting something deep in. And all of a sudden, you find yourself going, hey, this verse speaks to that. Or you're talking to someone, they talk about a verse, and all of a sudden it brings up another verse, and you go, wow, that sounds like this. And then next thing you know, there's revelation going, find those people that that happens with. Find those people that when you sit down and talk to them, deep cries out to deep, and deep pulls on deep, and suddenly the things that God's placed in you come out because of the things they're saying, and the things you're saying are pulling on the deep things that are inside of them, and there's this exchange and flow. Find those people, but get alone and get some oil first so that you have something to give. So that you're never just a taker. You're always someone who has something to give. Because what you have, you give. I'm asking us that, like as a church family, if it's at all remotely possible, sacrifice the last half hour of your day. Go to bed one half hour earlier than you normally would. And get up one half hour earlier and give that half hour to him every day for one month. I think after that month, you'll never go back. But at least for one month, just make room for him. Make place for him. Just say, God, I'm here to be with you. Get up in the morning. Be expectant. Find a place. Create a little place if you need to, but find a place where you can get alone and be with him and seek him. And put an expectation on it. When you head to that place in the morning, be expecting, God, I'm, I'm coming to be with you. I thank you for your promise that if I draw near to you, you'll draw near to me. And I'm drawing near, God, and I'm expecting you to come. Be expectant. God, I'm not coming for anything but you. I'll take whatever you want to give, but if I just have you, I'm okay with that because you're the best thing. 
and then start to thank him when you get into that place, even as you're walking to it, whatever it looks like. You're waiting for the coffee maker to make your coffee. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your promises. I thank, and just start to thank him. God, I thank you for what you've done in my life. I'm so thankful for everything you've blessed us with. I thank you that my daughter is here. God, I thank you that she's alive. I thank you that, that she is doing amazing and getting better every single day. All of a sudden now, what you've taken your mind off anything that would steal your attention, it's on him because you can't be thankful and resentful at the same time. You can't be thankful and anxious at the same time. Because your eyes fixed on him and thankfulness will, will actually calm any anxiety, any worry that's trying to attack. And then just start to worship him. God, you're so good. You're amazing. It doesn't have to be long. Let that thankfulness push you into worship because that's the natural thing. And then just get still with him. Record what he says, what he shows you. Spend some time reading his word. And then go out and happen to your day. Knowing that you've already found him. So wherever he's needed, you've got him. And you're equipped for every good work every good deed. God, I thank you for that. I ask that there would be a grace on our, on our church family during this time. I ask for your grace for us to fall asleep quickly at night and wake up early in the morning. I ask that grace would enter every single situation that would keep that from happening, Father God, so that all of us could say, early I'll seek you. Not in some legalistic, cold, stale, check it off the box because Roy asked me to do it, but from a heart that genuinely says, I have to have more of you, God. I have to have more. Father, I ask that you would put your grace on that, that there would be a hunger inside of us, that you would cause our hearts to just hunger for more and more of you, that we would be faithful to seek you. And I just thank you for that. I thank you for the stories that are coming from it, Father. I thank you for the, 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 the idea that, that we become like the one we behold, God. And as we give ourselves to becoming like you every single morning, that every day we become more like Jesus in every situation we find ourselves in. I just thank you that we're changed, God, from glory to glory. I ask that your grace be on it. I ask that we would honor what you're calling us to as a people, as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.